There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and Grant's microphone. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD as a sergeant. And with me tonight, he's a, he's a second time on the show, but it's been like two years, retired NYPD Lieutenant Commander of the Detective Squad, Tom Joyce. How are you doing tonight, Tom? I'm doing well, Bill. How are you? Ah, really good, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to see you. I you know, I, I feel like I see you a lot because I, I go on LinkedIn and you're on LinkedIn all the time. And uh, Tom works, besides being a, a, a retired squad commander, he works in police technology, artificial intelligence, license plate readers, uh, facial recognition. Um, do you have anything to do with the, um, you know, the, the x-rays that actually can spot guns from the street? No, I, I don't, but I'm following that very closely. I'm interested to see where that goes, especially not only the technology, but the legality, Fourth Amendment, stuff like that. So it's an interesting new space coming. Right, the uh, search and seizure, seizure ramifications, but also Shot Spotter, which is also a brilliant technology. And we're going to get into a little bit of that later. But, Tom, what I really wanted to talk to you about and what it really is on my mind and on so many people's minds is that there's so much politics, right, now to crime fighting and crime is going up across the nation, especially violent crime. And many people blame it on COVID. And uh, I think that people that are in the law enforcement industry know that that's out and out hogwash. It's just a lot of bullshit. Uh, when they don't want to blame it on what's really happening, they point in other directions. You know, they do one of these, you know, Yes, sir. but specifically gun crime has been a problem. And what they, what, they keep pointing at is the iron pipeline and the ghost guns. And you talk to anyone in the ATF and they go, that is total, absolute nonsense. And I say, you're preaching to the choir. There are 320 million guns in this country. All right. Most of them are sitting in people's safes and they're not hurting anybody. That's where my guns are in my safe. And I'll take them with me when I go out, when I go into these dangerous cities run by Democrats. And the, the point is, is that they have to go after the person pulling the trigger, not the gun. And I, I, Eric Adams, the new mayor of New York City, I'm rooting for him. I hope he turns New York City around, but he's doing the same thing. He has this, he actually almost chants, we have to take the river of guns away from the ocean of guns. I mean, he uses this flowery language. But guess what, Eric? That's not it. You got to go after the people pulling the trigger, and you're not willing to do that. We had this new district attorney, Bragg, who came in, and he thought he was going to turn the world upside down till he wrote that 12-page memo to his staff, and he got caught. And everyone was like, are you kidding me? You're not going to prosecute a robbery first degree with a firearm? Are you out of your mind? And all of a sudden, it woke up the other woke Democrats, specifically Hochul, who's going to be running in November. She's like, this could really hurt me. Because all they care about is polls. They don't care about crime victims. And that's what they're worried about. And we're going to get deeper into that. But your feelings, Tom, on this. Well, you just nailed it, Bill. You got it all in your monologue there, buddy. Um, <laughs> you got to go after the trigger puller. 
You know, I mean, every time I read an article about the crime going up when they blame it on the pandemic, I really get frustrated. It's this is about this is about weak policies and about failure to support the cops in the street. They don't feel protected. Um, you talk to any cop right now, they're very concerned about engaging the most violent criminals out there. They know everything is on video, whether it be a body cam that they're wearing themselves, whether it's an iPhone. And I don't think they worry about what their behavior is. But as you know, as everyone else knows, nobody who, anyone who resists an arrest, it's an ugly scene, right? Arresting a perpetrator who resists, is fighting, is fleeing, is always ugly. It's never pretty. And it looks bad on video. But the reality of it is they're empowered. They have the authority to make the arrest. They have the power to use force necessary, commensurate with the, the crimes. And if you don't go after the small amount of people who are committing a large amount of crimes, you are subjected to higher crime rates. It is a simple equation. It has nothing to do, in my opinion, with uh, the pandemic. It has to do with policy and the lack of support for cops in this country. Tom, you know, 100%. I just want to uh, draw your attention to a recent letter that the president of the Lieutenant's Benevolent Association of the NYPD wrote to his lieutenants, and I'm sure he wanted it out there, so all the politicians. But I'm going to read the first paragraph. First of all, dear Lieutenant, over the past several years, the New York State Legislature and New York City Council have created policies and passed legislation that has advocated for criminals, created more crime victims while completely abandoning victims' rights. Also, many of the district attorneys, especially in New York City, have abdicated their sworn duty to prosecute criminals. These politicians' actions have emboldened criminals, hobbled law enforcement, and created a tsunami of crime. I'm not going to go into all the statistics, but this just this he he lists all the statistics, which anyone knows is a smart thing to do because academics and journalists and politicians will always call you on. In fact, they'll use false statistics. Uh, statistics. Uh, I listened to an interview recently with Tiffany Brown, uh, excuse me, Tiffany Caban, who ran for Queens District Attorney, and she lost by a very small margin. She claimed in this interview that violence interrupters cut shootings 80%. I was like, where did she get that number from? That yeah. is absolute 100% horseshit. But the, the two journalists didn't know to challenge her on it. She pulled that, you know, I don't want to say out of where, but she pulled that statistic out of the air. And yeah. I was like, that is absolutely, you know what I want to know too, Tom? And you can see I get, I get all raised up with this stuff. I want to know who these violence interrupters are. What are their backgrounds? What are their education? And how much are they getting paid? How much tax dollars are we paying for these people that do nothing? How much? There's an awful lot of um, cases where they're former criminals, convicted felons. And you know what? Maybe they've reformed themselves, and that's fantastic. But they're getting paid a lot of money to be these intervention officers or whatever they're calling. It's outrageous. Um, when, but I think the stat you need to talk about on Louis Turco's letter is the 1,261 gun arrests, 22% of them. That means more than three quarters have been released. Only 22% are still incarcerated. In our day, Bill, you got arrested for a gun, you're in. Tom, I'm glad you drew my attention that I actually have it highlighted on, on, the, uh, on the page, and I was going to get to that, but thank you so much for getting Sorry to that. Right. 
only 277 perpetrators out of those 1,261 gun arrests uh, are still in custody. That's so right. it's not the steel highway. It's the steel perp highway that aren't going to jail, aren't going to prison. Prosecutors are refusing. And you know who they're endangering? They're endangering the public and they're endangering the police officers who, you know how dangerous it is to make a gun collar? I know you know, Tom. I know you know. And I don't think the public knows. They do not understand. Now you got to arrest the same guy five times in a year? It's outrageous. You know, it's really crazy. And you talk about gun arrest. Engaging somebody who you think has a gun is scary. I mean, like, as, as scary as it can get. And, yeah, we could we could talk about our war stories and all the times we've tackled guys and approached people who've had guns. It is scary. But you know what? It's incredible that there's men and women willing to do that for complete strangers. And you're right. You're talking about the victims, and you highlighted that a little bit when you were re reading Louis's letter. I mean, it's all about the victims and the officer safety. If you have those two things and those officers feel like they're um, supported legally and physically with the proper tools, the proper techniques, the proper training, and they feel like they're, they're able to engage the way they're taught and trained and that they're in a safe mode, you have to keep the cops safe. And then more importantly, you have to protect these victims because there are a lot of hardworking people in these communities who have no way out. They can't go anywhere else and they're begging for help. But they're, you know what, you know why you don't hear from them, Bill? Because they're busy getting, getting to work and taking care of their kids. You know? you know something, Tom? Every time I look at New York City, they're hitting the pocketbook of the honest citizen. They have this thing now, 25 mile per hour speed cameras. Are you out of your mind? My <laughs> wife came home the other day. She goes, oh, I got a twenty. I got a $50 ticket. I go, oh, I was doing like 30 and it's what? I was like, that is an out and out cash register for this city. That is bullshit. And, you know, another way they're hitting the honest citizens. How about the turnstile jumpers? Nah, they're not prosecuting them. You know why? Because in 2023, they plan on putting in congestion pricing. That'll cover the turnstile jumpers. Let's let the people who pay $175 to register their car for two years, let's hit them for more money to go and to drive into Manhattan and let's blame it on, on uh, pollution. Let's blame it on that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pretend that it's green energy and you want to drive into the city and use that evil thing called fossil fuel. We're going to nail you, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned the fair beats because I was originally a transit cop came on in 1986 and I'm so you raise an interesting point where I'm wondering, I haven't seen anything from the MTA. Where have they been? Because they always wanted the revenue. The revenue was most important. The trains had to run and the revenue had to come in. And boy, oh boy, did they have those counters at the turnstiles and making sure. And they had, you know, fair, fair beat posts and all this kind of stuff. They made sure they got their revenue. They've been noticeably silent on this, Bill. I got to be honest with you. You know, Tom, I think the the uh, it was the CEO of the MTA, Jano Lieber or something like that. His name is, and he went all all the morning talk shows after the uh, after the subway shooting because he wanted to exonerate himself from the camera not working, the most important camera. Right. He was trying to exonerate himself the day after. If that's not a politician, because in my podcast I was calling for his firing. Let's fire yeah. this guy, you know, because. He's always the one blaming the NYPD. Oh, crime. What is the NYPD? Bought more cops. Blah, 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 blah. You know, no, dude, let's fire you because that camera didn't work. Well, you know what I mean? Held accountable, right? Yeah. Let's hold them accountable. But then 
on Instagram, the NYPD came out with, oh, we want to make it clear that it was really no one's fault. I was like, wait a minute. Why are they backing this guy who's always MF in the NYPD? Well, yeah, somebody's accountable for that. There's no doubt about it. There should be. Crazy, you know. Yeah. I want to get into how this is just not a local New York City problem. This is a national problem. Oh, sure. And one of the one of the areas again who have district attorneys as crazy or crazier than New York City is L.A. Uh, this guy Gascon is the best friend to perps in the history of perpdom. You know, <laughs> I just made up that term, but he's and they what they have now is they have L.A. gangs following rich and famous people home to rob them. How great is that? You know, and they work like they work like anti crime in reverse. You know. I'm going to show you a little bit of this video and horrifying, just absolutely horrifying. But just to show that it's not just New York City, it's other crazy cities because they won't prosecute. Hollywood and Beverly Hills by following them home for their watches, their expensive jewelry. In fact, they're so organized that they're sending in advanced teams to scout the victims as they dine out at fancy restaurants or shops and high end retailers. And then they follow up with multiple carloads of gang members who follow the victims and swarm them when they get home. Two people have been shot dead. Residents are now being told by police not to wear expensive jewelry, to walk in pairs, to be aware of suspicious people following them. And this is insane. This is L.A. This week alone, the span of two days, there have been five of these so-called follow-home robberies. In one of the cases, a suspect walked to the car of a woman she was leaving a jewelry store. They shattered her driver's side window. She ended up getting out of her car and tried to run away. But they followed her in the silver Dodge Charger, even as she is begging, passing cars for help. The suspect then hit her with their car. She fell to the ground. They got out of the car with guns pointed at her. You can see a good Samaritan there in the white sweatshirt trying to help. The victim, very smartly, throws her Rolex under the street. One of the suspects grabs it and they speed off. The woman, incredibly, only had minor injuries and is doing okay, at least physically. <clears throat> this was noon on a Monday, right in the heart of downtown L.A. It's happening far too often. Look at this video from last month. You can see the victim being pistol whipped by gang members who followed him back to his apartment from a ritzy restaurant. They waited for him to get out of his Lamborghini before demanding his watch and viciously beating him. And in this follow-home robbery from late last year, the victims were waiting for the elevator when two armed men burst in behind them and stripped them of their watches, phone, and jewelry. LAPD noticed a surge in follow-home robberies late last year when they clocked 165 of these attacks. So far this year, there have been 56 cases, which puts it on track to exceed that number from last year. Police have formed a task force, identified at least 17 gangs have been doing this. They've made dozens of arrests for robbery, weapons, and murder charges. But the police chief saying this week, that hasn't done much to deter these criminals. In fact, they're just getting more brazen and better organized. These are instances that we don't believe are spontaneous. We believe many times these offenders are scouting out locations, sending, in, sending up advanced people, may even have relationships with parking valets or store uh, store employees. The head of the L.A. follow home robbery task force saying this week he's never seen this kind of unchecked criminal activity. 
from such large coordinated groups in his three decades on the force. So what the heck is going on? Why do these gang members feel such a level of comfort that they're operating virtually out in the open? 13 people have been shot, two killed during botched holdup attempts. Joining me now is retired Los Angeles police detective Moses Castillo. Moses, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. What's your take on what's going on here? Thanks, Dan. You know what? This is horrible. These thugs, these criminals, they're just terrorizing communities because they feel empowered and emboldened because the consequences are not severe enough. We have these rogue DAs throughout our country who are being the soft on crime approach. That's not helping at all. They must start enforcing the law and holding these thugs accountable. What did you make of the comment from the police chief that valets or store employees may be involved as well? That's scary. You know, that reminds me of, you know, the, uh, you know, the Mexican cartel in Mexico where you expect that in a foreign country where, you know, terrorists are targeted by, you know, somebody dropping a dime, you know, the hotel worker or the restaurant worker that notices somebody with money. And if that's happening here in, in Los Angeles, that is really terrorizing. It's out of control. It must be stopped. And uh, those people need to be held accountable because then they're also part of this crime as well. Have you ever seen organized gangs operating virtually out in the open like this? Nothing like this. You know, these gang members, they feel empowered. They feel uh, you know, that they could do whatever they want. Consequences are, don't, don't exist. And what's sad about it, you know, LAPD talks about there's 17 gangs involved with this, but there's a lot more, a lot more gangs. The only reason they only came up with 17 is because that's how they were able to identify by the arrests that were made. But LAPD stopped using this database, this uh, Cal gangs, we knew it, it's a gang database, is no longer allowed to be used as an investigative resource, investigative tool. So I bet you there's more gangs involved with this than meets the eye. Tom, does that ring a bell to you? They won't let them use the gang database. Oh, yeah. Remember they stopped letting the NYPD use the stop question and frisk log and using that the information on that as oh, an yeah. investigative database? Every step of the way, these progressives are throwing hurdles, high hurdles, too, three, four, five feet high in front of the police. What is going on? What is, and in conjunction with these DAs who refuse to prosecute, what, I mean, it's very, it's disturbing. It's really disturbing. Yeah. So we talked about engaging, you know, police officers reluctant to engage. They don't feel supported. They don't feel backed up. Well, the stop question and frisk. I actually like to call it something a little bit different. Stop, question, and possibly frisk. Because you didn't you stopped and questioned people. You didn't always frisk them. I don't even know how the NYPD ever allowed that to even be spoken that way. Every single time anyone ever said stop, question, frisk, they should have stopped them and said, I'm sorry. It's stop, possibly question, possibly frisk. It all depends. And well, then, but you know, Tom, the, the media made it political. They tried to weaponize it and demonize yeah. it by calling it "stop and frisk," "stop exactly. and frisk." You know, NYPD never should have let that happen. They never no. should have let that happen. They should have stopped it every single time. However, that being said, um, you know, there was data collected uh, on each one of those stops, and then they were used. And I remember specifically in Bedford Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, solving a shooting case because we read the UF two fifties, the stop, question, and frisk forms. And we found someone fitting a description of a person who did a shooting. And it worked perfectly, exactly as it's supposed to be done. 
for the gathering of information, not intelligence, because intelligence has a very different um, specific meaning. So we'll just call it information for this conversation. The information is there. You need the information to solve crimes. You know, Tom, to be totally fair and to play devil's advocate, sure. the NYPD was not pure as the driven snow with, with stop, question, and frisk. They overused it. Yes. They, they used it as a tool to get activity out of police officers, a tool to try to drop crime. And I don't know if there was a book written by Bill Bratton called Turnaround. Yep. And in that book, Turnaround, this was way before the stop, question, and frisk problem. He said, once crime has reached a certain level, you need to take your foot off the gas a little bit. And then you have to start looking for like community, more community policing programs, kids' basketball programs, boxing. Let's get involved more in the community. We got to take our foot off the gas or else we're going to lose the community. And that's exactly what happened with the overuse of stop, question, and frisk. And if I take criticism for this, it's the, I'm telling the truth. That's exactly no, what happened. You should not be criticized for it. You're spot on. I will tell you what it is. It was poor leadership by executive level management who looked at numbers without the results and the outcomes. So all that was trickling down to the sergeants and then the sergeants pushing to the cops on the street was get your numbers, get your numbers, get your numbers. And they weren't looking. So the, the methodology superseded the objective. The objective was low crime. And if you have the low crime, there's no reason to keep stopping people at an inordinate rate just to get the numbers. That's where they've lost it. They lost sight of it. 100%. Yeah, well, you know, 100%. Because first of all, I don't think every single person, the cop that's in the precinct, needs to be stop questioning and frisking people. Some people aren't street cops. Right. And let them do what they're good at, broom, house mouth, whatever they're good at, and let them do that. You know, not everyone is a street cop, but right. stop question and frisk is a tool that we need to get guns. And, you know, when Mayor Adams, and again, I say this all the time, I'm rooting for him. I'm not seeing great things from him, to tell you the truth. I think he's one step away from taking the side of the anarchists. But one of the things that that he has to allow, he has like these neighborhood safety teams. It's a joke. You can't do anti-crime why don't you just wear a Bozo the Clown outfit with your hair, red hair up like that, with a police uniform on, with a camera on your chest? Part of being an anti-crime is being stealthy, to be able to move in and out, to surprise the perps. And when we, Tom, we talked about it before we went on the air, how about plainclothes transit? They were, the, they were unbelievable. They were great. You know, you know what a perp how surprised he is when he has some transit cop in plain clothes that looks like looks like a bum on the train, jump him and, and lock him up. They're like, just that to know that, wait, there might be plain clothes cops on this train. Yeah. That yeah. is a deterrent right there. Yeah, I was in transit anti-crime and in the decoy squad. The decoy squad was a very, very successful program. Um, but, you know, uh, talk about getting surprised. That was fantastic. Um but yeah, you know, you blend into the crowd. You can dress up or down. You know, you can put on a suit. Yeah, that fills up. Too. And then, yeah. and then the people say, "Man, I can't believe you're you're a cop. You're wearing a suit. You look like a business person." You know, we used to have put the name tags on, like you were some tourist from out of town, and you're in a convention. Hello, my name is is Bob or something, and you know, and 
And yeah, I'm Bob from in. Utah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have no idea where I am. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we had a blast doing that, but it was highly effective to get to the point um, when they're just blending in. And, you know, there's millions of riders every day and you just blend it into the crowd. And and literally, literally crimes were being committed, especially Manhattan, where it's more condensed. Crimes being committed right in front of your eyes, five feet away from you. You know, Tom, there was such an esprit de corps uh, among anti-crime, and I'm sure transit even much more so because it was a dangerous job, real dangerous job. I mean, people that aren't from here that are in the chat, people would go up to uh, folks on transit with a razor and cut open their pockets. Can you imagine that? Yeah, Someone coming workers. up to you with a razor and slashing open your pocket to grab your wallet. Yeah, I mean, they yeah, lush workers. Lush workers. That's right. Transit yeah. had their own language. You know, what my favorite transit expression was when when they wrote a report and a guy took off. He fled to parts unknown. <laughs> I love that expression. That was great. Yeah, yeah, parts unknown. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's the same thing with up on the street. I mean, I was in citywide anti crime. I did pre six and a half years. I didn't plain clothes. You know, and I used to love walking around in Times Square because that was a school for criminals. Criminals used to come from the Bronx, from Queens, from uptown Manhattan, uh, from Brooklyn to get paid, as they would say in their language, you know? Yeah, we used to say Manhattan makes it, Brooklyn takes it. Brooklyn yeah. takes it. That's right. They used to chant that, you know? And, and But you know something? You cannot – what they want cops to be today is scarecrows. Yeah. They want that whole term omnipresence taken to a new level. Yeah, let's just be scarecrows. Don't do anything. We don't want you to get in trouble. You know, we don't want any proactive police work. So, you know, something, if someone gets robbed, you know, first of all, the DA is not going to prosecute it anyway. So, you know, just pretend you're chasing the guy. You know, it, it's pathetic because, and that's why, you know, they're going to lose a lot of people who refuse to come into the city. Yeah. A lot of people already don't want to ride the trains anymore. And now, and now you're going to get people that won't go into the city. Yep, absolutely. No, I mean, we have, I, people ask all the time, where should I go? Where should I be? What should I do? What should I be safe? And the word is, it's, it's not feeling good. I remember somebody telling me the other day, Tommy, did you ever think we'd lose Fifth Avenue? We've lost Fifth Avenue. West Broadway and Soho. These places are were never to fall. And there you go, all- Tom. They look at this store. This store is ready to close up shop and because they're getting, they're getting fleeced out of all their high-end uh, merchandise. It's insane. It's insane. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And if you want to become a member of the YouTube family, we have a YouTube uh, channel members. We have five different levels of that. We give you some extra um, content, and you can support Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. You see, we... We're always making comments on the, the police stories of the day and giving you the real story. When politicians look you in the eye and talk horse shit about the iron pipeline, we're going to tell you the real deal about that. Because whenever you hear that, it's absolute nonsense. All right. You can, and you can quote me, go to academia, go to politicians, tell them, oh, Cannon from uh, Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. He said, you're lying. They are. They're lying. That's what exactly what they're doing. They're telling lies. You know, you see this thing with L.A., these follow-home robberies. I mean, the only thing that, cl- that came close to that with the NYPD, remember in Washington Heights, and I don't know if you had it in Brooklyn too, they had the home invasions? Yeah. But the home invasions were really targeting drug dealers. 
but they were still very organized. They were very, very dangerous. And the NYPD's response to that was a home invasion task force, which did an amazing job with, you know, I don't know if they curtailed it, but they took a big bite out of it. And they took a lot of those cases federally, like they are with this um, subway shooter. They're taking it federally because they thought that uh, the Brooklyn DA was going to give them a cheese sandwich and send them home, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I'd never heard of foul home robberies. The fact that LA's been recording them last year and this year and they're on pace to succeed, you know, I mean, and and it's exactly what I thought when I first heard it. I said, I know home invasions, but not follow homes, you know? And the home invasions, you're 100% right. I would say out of the hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of home invasions we investigated, I would say I could count on two hands how many were legitimate home invasions of legitimate people. Everyone else was usually drug dealers um, and who they think there's some big cash uh, or at least some other, um, you know, nefarious activity. But... Uh, yeah. And you know, a- folks, one of the things that, you know, you'll get, uh, you, know, you hear a lot of politicians and even some police people that haven't been around that long. Oh, how do we stop that? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I would love to put a team together and get these follow home robbers. Give me, give me 50 aggressive anti-crime cops. I'll have half that damn team locked up in the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Because, Tom, you know yourself. What is this, Tom? That's some sort of camera set up there. Okay, so that's a shot. That's a shot spot. Oh, that's right? shot spot or acoustic, gunshot acoustic. Yeah. Right. Yep. So you got that. Uh, I don't know if I have some of these other. There we go. There we go. License plate readers, cameras. You can get a lot of these cars identified and then put the cars. Oh, except we can't use the gang database. They took that from us. Oh, my God. How are we going to do this? How are we going to use investigative techniques? We also have facial. Technology, facial recognition. Oh, they, t- they want to take that away too. Yes, they do. I, as you can see, Tom, I'm trying to segue into what you're very good at and what you know a lot about uh, a- artificial intelligence and law enforcement harnessing the power of emerging technologies. And there's no one that knows more about this than you. And the fact that, again, some of these woke people, there we go, artificial intelligence, and, you know, some of these woke people are looking to take that away from us. How can databases, how can technology, how can ShotSpot, how can license plate readers, how can uh, facial recognition, how can it be racist? Well, it's not. It's actually very agnostic. That's the whole point of it. When a license plate is read and that license plate is on a hit list, it has no idea who the occupants are. So if anything, it's, it's the fairest way to do it. And, um, you know, they call this, they came up with this name, they called it algorithmic policing technologies. There's three kinds, there's location-based, there's person-based, and then there's um, the surveillance techniques, right? And that's like the cameras. So they've attacked databases, which is the person. There's there's companies that do predictive analysis. Um, They turn around and they say, you know what? You're predicting and therefore, you're bringing. Uh, there's a shot of my article that I wrote for LinkedIn last year. Well, Tom, right. let me let me read the first paragraph of this. All right. Uh, in an attempt to reimagine policing, but what feels more like an attempt to neuter police in the United States, various tactics are being deployed, forcing chiefs to resign, local legislation to defund the department, implementation of review boards comprised of non-practitioners, elimination of qualified immunity and the dismantling of police technology 
technologies. Contrary to their convenient narrative, these people and groups do not want to keep vulnerable communities safe. Plain and simple, if they did, they would roundtable and discuss, but no, they don't pull in the experts and learn and understand. They just demand. So you know what? I'm going to tell you something really interesting right now. This is true. I defy anybody in the industry to say different. I worked for a company called Vigilant Solutions. We did license plate reader technology. When, when the attacks were coming out and they were saying, we got to stop this LPR technology, we can't let it happen, Vigilant Solutions called up the six or seven other LPR providers in the country that were focused on law enforcement. We said, look, we have a common problem here. They're trying to crush our technology. All the other vendors said no. My company, the company that I worked for, was Vigilant Solutions. We spent $2 million, maybe more on lobbying efforts. And I personally went with our lobbyists to the Hill, senators, congressmen, congresswomen, all the committees. I presented, me personally, not my company, me personally, presented what LPR technology is and what it is not. And you know what? Every single legislator, whether they were Democrat or Republican, all said the same exact thing. Wow, I had no idea. They were being lied to. They, the ACLU, the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and all the other privacy advocates were lying to the politicians, telling them it is this terrible, terrible technology that is going to infringe on people's rights and privacy as you know it. And those days are over and it has to stop. And it was only for Vigilant Solutions and their lobbying efforts that um, LPR is still prevalent today, because if not, it would have been crushed. And you might have seen some variation of it, but it would be a tiny fraction of its capabilities of what it is right now today. You know, Tom, even when you think about uh, so many things that are innocuous, but they can also be used as surveillance, for example, and this came even into play with internal affairs investigation of cops, is easy pass, yep. right? Easy pass, like you have to be stupid to sign in three or four hours late in the at work and when they they got you on easy pass coming across the uh henry hudson bridge at a certain time and then you're signing in that wait how how'd you sign in at eight and you you go through that bridge at 11 you know and so not and i'm not just even talking about cops but think of the the technology and every single place um bridges tunnels there's video cameras you know and I don't think anybody's really, especially in the big urban areas, you're you're on camera, man. You're getting caught, car cameras, some sort of electronic capture of data in some way, shape, or form. So they're out there. The leads are out there. But what, what good are all those leads, Bill? They don't mean anything if you're not going to put the guy when you get him in jail and keep him in jail. Tom, 100%. And just what we were talking about before, uh, another article by you, the war on gun crime. <laughs> not so much, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh I will say, I'm going to read the first paragraph again. I will say that I'm amazed that something so serious that has such a devastating effect has been treated so flippantly. The war on gun crime. A recent New York Post article, New York City knows how to stop this crime surge. It just needs politicians willing to do it. But Bob McManus compelled this post. Mr. McManus, two points. New York's elected leaders right across the board simply don't give a damn about public safety. If they did, such things wouldn't be happening. Number two, each is a problem that has already been solved once, painfully and controversially, to be sure, but solved as decisively as such challenges can be in a dynamic and intrinsically fractious city. 
So those were Bob McManus's, but I want to make everyone clear that was the previous mayor's administration. That was the okay. Blasio's administration, not Eric Adams's. So I have high hopes and I too am rooting. Uh, having worked with Eric Adams and many people on his staff, I know them all very well. I wish them well. I wish them luck. I think they have all the experience to get this done, but do they have the will and do they have the support? Well, I, I think I think not. Uh, you know something? I love this new police commissioner, Keechan Sewell, but yeah. I feel for her because yep. I could see she wants aggressive policing, and I don't want to put words in her mouth. She can call me up and say, don't say what I want. I want to say <laughs> it appears that she wants, you know, for cops to let's, I won't use the word aggressive. Right, I use the right. word proactive. Right. She right. wants cops to be proactive. But guess what? As you said, and someone said recently, I don't know who was quoted, but let's keep doing our job and let's make the arrest and let's let the DAs let them go. And then when they do that, we can say, hey, we locked up, you know, 500 people. You let 480 of them go. What What more do you want us to do? We're doing our job. I think you could get away with that short term, but long term that will wear on the cops and the rank and file and morale will be down. And then one cop is going to get hurt and then everyone's going to say, for what? What are we doing? And so I think that can work for short term to prove a point, but it's not sustainable long term. No, I mean, look, when I said before that it's dangerous to make a gun collar, sure is. and then when the same cop is locking up or different cops are locking up the same perp that's been arrested five times within a year, and that's actually happened. A guy's been locked up for a gun five times and bailed every time. And we didn't even get to bail reform, which is an absolute – I don't even think people that are laymen – understand the ramifications of bail reform not only is it bail reform but discovery they don't even know exactly how that district attorneys that's why they were all quitting i think 43 district attorneys quit assistant district attorneys citywide because of this new bail reform yeah. and when bragg walked in there we know they were jumping out the windows of the building you know it's like that that much they didn't want to be part of his administration yeah i think gascon's office has the biggest uprising right now they they have a lot of DAs in LA that are going against the grain on Gascon's policies and really standing up. I'd, I'd be shocked if he doesn't get recalled. You know, one of the things that people don't understand, uh, <laughs> as far as correctional uh, um, philosophies, there has to be something called deterrence. And there's two types of deterrence, and it's called specific and general deterrence. So someone sticks a gun in someone's face, robs them, and runs away or whatever and they get caught that's if you give him five to 15 that's very specific deterrence so what does that do that makes other would-be robbers think twice about doing a stick up because this guy's specifically got five to 15 now it's telling the general population you can't do a stick up because you're going to go to prison for five right. but there's no deterrence like that right now so people are doing stick ups and how about the fact we're, we're capitalists in this country, aren't we? I thought there we was were. just a, a CVS on 50th and 8th that had such blatant larceny they had to close. Mm -hmm. They had to close the store. I, I mean, that's that's sad, right? Yeah, I heard stories about the CVSs. You got to go in and ask for help to just to get toothpaste because everything's locked up. <laughs> that's not even an exaggeration. It's true. But, you, you know, know, Tom, and then how are they going to stay in business? They can't. 
They cannot. But where are we as a society when we won't protect because we won't prosecute pettit larceny? And then also at the higher end of that, we're going to prosecute a robbery first degree with a gun as a pettit larceny. He Bragg tried to get away with that. And then he couldn't get away with it because he put out a 10 or 12 page memo because he would have tried to do a tap dance, but he couldn't. It was on paper. And he was trying to do, you know, the backwards tap dance. But they were like, wait a minute, you wrote it down, dude. You wrote it down. And then I think Hochul, who, of course, wants to get elected in November, she made him do a total about face. But he still, you know, it's all these Soros funded DAs. That- well, think about think about the grand larceny uh, and the pettit larceny where they're up to shoplifting up to under a thousand. Right. Where you're not even getting prosecuted for nine hundred dollars. Right. So for every incident and it doesn't matter if you do five in a row, think how lucrative it could be to just go in and shoplift in these places, get some really good swag, pick up the stuff that you know you can sell on the on the black market really easily, and you could make a legitimate living. I mean, this it's the policies are absolutely insane. Tom, that's what they're doing. They're absolutely selling this stuff. How about up yeah. at the upper end stuff? You know, we saw we put that the uh the upper end store there uh what I have it um I have it in here somewhere. Nordstrom? That, yeah, Nordstrom. Nordstrom, Nordstrom like, you know, pocketbooks that cost $1,000, $2,000. They went in there at a store in Long Island, and it was like 62 seconds had taken $80,000 worth of pocketbooks, you know? These old, like you're seeing on the screen right now, I'm putting up these smashing grabs. And uh, there they are with their hammers breaking into, you know, these jewelry stores organize follow home teams you know they know who these guys are but if there's no teeth in the law they're going to keep doing it you know they're going to just keep you know and and the thing is i don't know if anyone in the chat or anyone listening has ever been robbed before has ever had a gun stuck in their face and someone said to them give me your money or i'm going to shoot you that's pretty damn terrifying right you probably lose a few years of your life for that right and then the guy whatever the guy takes he doesn't shoot you he takes off he should go free. He just put you in the most fear of your life you've ever been in your life. Shouldn't this guy go to prison for that? I mean, where does this philosophy come from? I just, I just do not understand it. It's un-American. That it is. That it is. You know, you know, you know Tom, one of the other things you said too, um, and I'm going to put another article that you did and uh, I'm making you famous tonight. on ah, this show. I appreciate you know, it. Uh, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this up there too. Policing. Everyone's a critic, yeah, you know, that's for sure. and the scary thing is that you'll see people when they're debating some of these things in Congress that have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And they talk, but yet they still, they're so arrogant yeah. that they'll still put their two cents in. And then you have these other people at city council. I want to slap some of these people. And luckily you know, I'm not on the job anymore. I've been, uh, there's been people that have called them names. They, some of them deserve that. But they criticize the, the police in no uncertain terms when they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, it's really disgraceful. Like, you know, I know that, uh, thank God, a judge, and I don't know if it's going to last forever, um, reverse the diaphragm law. The lunacy to that is just beyond comprehension just beyond comprehension yeah i have a lot of comments on what you just said there with about the police and everyone's a critic you know it's so funny and part of what i wrote i think it was in that article was like you know um 
I, I'm building a house and I walked into the builder and I told him, I don't really like the way you're hanging these trusses in my, in the roof. And he's like, really, how many houses have you built? And I said, never, but I don't like the way it's being done. He's like, well, Tommy, how am I even supposed to take you serious? If you've never built a house in your life, I built, you know, 300, 400 houses. And I was like, yeah, that's my point. How can people be so critical of the police? They've never put the uniform on. They've never fought for their life. They've never engaged with a really violent criminal. They don't know what it's like. And I, and I, I like the idea that civilians have a seat at the table and politicians have a seat at the table. But are you listening? Are you engaging? Are you paying attention? Are you looking at statistics? The statistics of, of the number of engagements and the tens of millions of arrests every year across the country. I believe the number is somewhere in the neighborhood of 56 or 60 million arrests every year in the United States of America. And there's 1,000 death in custody sh shootings by police in the country. Of those 1,000, over 900 of them are armed. And yet people are going to criticize them. It's, it's really crazy. And, uh, and when you talk about the diaphragm law, you know, here I am telling my son, who's a police officer also, I said, son, you really need to be fit and stay fit. And you really need to be good with your hands um, and to be able to defend yourself. And, and we talk about never getting hurt and never hurting anybody. My son goes on patrol every day and he hopes he signs out every single day, not getting hurt himself and not having to hurt anybody else. But we talked about jujitsu and grappling and, and then, you know, I was criticized in some of the circles that I was talking to. It's like, Tommy, the things you're talking about have been just made illegal. And I was like, I was shocked. I, I, I got caught off guard. I was like, oh, my God, I'm teaching my son to break the law. Because with that diaphragm, diaphragm law, he would actually be doing things he was being taught in a, in a Gracie jiu-jitsu class, which thankfully it was repealed. So, yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, Tom, there, as you know, Tom, there is no way to handcuff someone that doesn't want to be cuffed without putting the weight of your body on their body. There is no way. And putting your knee into the middle of their back until they get cuffed and under control, then get your knee the hell off their back. But yep. once they're controlled, they're cuffed. All right, now your knee gets off their back. But to not be able to put your knee on their back is just absolute and puts the officer in lots of danger. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to time. I want to go to a quick a quick break. Sure. Jo Joe Murray, attorney at law. Joe Murray's a retired 15-year member of the service, retired as a police officer. He's a great friend of the show. He's also a, a fantastic defense attorney. If anyone gets in any trouble. Needs a great attorney. That's jmurray-law.com. And you can call him on his cell at 718-514-3855. You can email him at joe at jmurray-law.com. His website is jmurray-law.com. Great friend of the show. Fantastic attorney. Fantastic guy. That's Joe Murray. John Beatty Law. www.jbdlaw.com. John Beatty is a renowned personal injury attorney. He's also retired as a decorated NYPD sergeant. John comes from a proud NYPD and FDNY family. He was an active sergeant in Brooklyn North and supervised in the legal bureau. John is a proud member of the Honor Legion and the Blue Knights. John Beatty litigates across the country for seriously injured victims and has helped recover over $200 million for grieving families. Call John now for a free consultation. John Beatty, 917-797-9520, uh, 9520, excuse me, 
John Beatty Law, www.jbeattylaw.com. It's good to get these guys. You know, it just shows you a lot of people on this job become really successful after they leave the job. You know, these guys that got law degrees while they're on their job, how tough is that to do? It's ridiculously tough, but lots of guys do it, you know? Yeah, yeah you need a lot of support. You know, you get support at home, you get support at work. I'm good for them. 100%, you know. So, Tom, you know, this is so fruitful, I think, because I think that when you see what's going on in the country and how we as citizens and we as police are being lied to by the politicians, when is the pushback coming? When is it going to go back the other way? Because you talk to people. We have Lieutenant Pete Pranzo that watches the show all the time. He has a book called The Harlem Raiders. He was a legend in the 3-2 back in the day as a lieutenant, also a street crime legend. And he says all the time to us, this is all cyclical. It's going to go back the other way. I don't know if we'll ever swing totally back the other way, but maybe it'll get a little bit better. What are your thoughts? I, I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um, you know, Bill, we worked through the 80s and the crack wars, and then we hit that peak in 92 with the 2100 murders and you know and we thought ah, this could never be and then you know Giuliani lost the first election but he won the second one and he came in and he and he turned you know Bratton you mentioned it the book turnaround and that's exactly what it was it was turned around and all and it was really really simple it was just engage right engage do it do it right effective right accurate and timely intelligence rapid deployment Effective tactics, relentless follow-up. Is a really I hated book. reading that on the wall at Comstead. I wanted to jump <laughs> off the roof when I read yeah, that. <laughs> but, man, we've all read it a thousand times, right? Every 28 days, man, just looking at it. But it's right, and it's spot on. And so I think we, if they're supported and given back the authority to do the job and do it well, I think it can come back. But it will only come back, and the midterm elections are going to be very interesting and this is Republicans and Democrats alike. I have a congresswoman here in Virginia where I live now, and she was a Democrat. But as soon as she won her district, she said, don't ever say that defund the word police anywhere in my district ever again. I support the cops. I want them to do their job. So she was really good. And so you need more of that. So who the politicians are, whether the Democrats or the Republicans, whoever wins the House, it's the people who get into those seats. If they can support, start supporting the cops, again, I think we'll start turning the tide and chipping away back at it. But, man, 27 years of steady declines eradicated in two years is the way I see it. Well, you know something? I know that you probably feel the same way I do, but eight years of de Blasio was probably the worst mayor in New York City history. Okay. He destroyed this city. It's like giving matches to a child to play with. But yet this guy was elected twice. <clears throat> So yeah. the electorate, too, is – I question the electorate, you know? Yeah. Like, how did you elect this moron twice, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I want to play a little bit of Eric Adams and, and uh, Keyshawn Sewell, the new police commissioner who is uh, very sure. popular. And uh, Adams is a skilled politician, I'll put it that way. But uh, let's play a little bit of what he had to say yesterday. And uh, – Thank you both for joining us this morning. Uh, Mayor Adams, let me begin with you. Let's begin with the latest on the subway shooting. What more have you learned about Frank James and whether he could have been stopped? Uh, it's, it's still under uh, active investigation. Uh, can I thank the commissioner enough for the way she handled the investigation and brought him 
uh, into apprehension. And so we're still weeding through his history and other parts of, of this investigation. And Commissioner Sewell, what do we know about why he turned himself in? So I think uh, the fact that he called and turned himself in is evidenced uh, by the fact that we were kind of closing in around him. There were a number of uh, avenues we pursued to try to locate uh, Mr. James. We disseminated his picture, made the strategic decision to disseminate his picture, and we had a number of people looking for him, hundreds of detectives looking for him. But I think one of the key factors also is our force, force multiplier, which are the eyes and ears of our incredible New Yorkers, and we were able to bring him into custody. Mayor Adams, in many ways, Frank James was hiding in plain sight even before the attack. He was arrested several times. He had YouTube videos packed with hate and suggestions of violence. Do we need a better way to track individuals like this before they take this violent action? And whose responsibility is that? Uh, yes, I do. I believe we do. Uh, I think social media uh, must step up. There's a corporate responsibility. Um, when we are watching hate brew online, uh, we can identify uh, using artificial intelligence and other methods to identify those who are talking about violence. And you, you know my uh, concerns around even uh, what's called drill music, uh, not all drill music, but those that talks about inflicting violence on rival gangs. That is driving uh, some of the shooters we're seeing in the parts of the Bronx. Commissioner Sewell, we've seen a spate of crimes in subways over the year. The shooting was just the latest of those. Do we need a more robust police presence to convince people in New York City, actually around the country, that subways are safe? The subways have to be safe and they will be safe. Since January, we enhanced patrols in a subway. We've done over 280,000 additional inspections by uniformed personnel in the subway system. Couple that with our subway safety task force. As it stands now, crime in the subway is actually below uh, pre-COVID numbers. But last week, we graduated more recruits from the police academy and we're surging more officers into the subway system. We recognize that people need to see a visible presence of police in the subway and we're endeavoring to make sure that that happens. There's also security measures that we don't see, but we understand that that reassurance is required and we're putting multiple officers in the subways every single day. Mayor Adams, you promised to focus on crime in your campaign, but major crimes have continued to rise on your watch. How do you explain it? What more can be done? A national problem. Uh, you know, I say over and over again, there are many rivers that feed uh, the sea of violence. Uh, there he goes with that that line, many rivers feed the sea of violence. He, he loves that line, man. He loves it. This is a national issue. It's not a red state, blue state. In fact, red states uh, experience a higher murder, murder rate uh, than uh, blue states. Uh, Tulsa is three times the murder rate of Los Angeles. Mississippi, K Kentucky, Louisiana, uh, those are the highest murder rates in our entire country. Uh, I think the president has done an amazing job, but you've heard the narrative beforehand about defunding the police. Let me tell you what the defunders of police are. Those are those who did not vote on the Build Back Better bill. He starts getting outrageous with talking about that nonsense. You know, first of all, if you if you really w followed the two years of the riots, many progressives were the ones calling for defunding the police. And now this Build Back Better has nothing to do with the police. And he's trying to sell that. You know, he's he's got to really watch being way over the line uh, political. You know, you know, and the other thing is, I think he has to let um, the police commissioner run the police department. He's no longer a police captain. He's the mayor. Let her run the day-to-day. -day. Let her be the face of the police department. Don't you try to be the face of the police department. You know, 
And I think that, you know, as I said, I'm rooting for him. I don't know how I'll feel about him in six months. I don't know how I'll feel about him in three months. But I, I'm a fan of New York City, and I want, I want him to succeed because of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, we, we continue to agree on that. Um, it is a nationwide problem. And, and, the, and I saw the article that the mayor was referencing about the crime. But I looked at those stats. And if you drill into those red states that are up in crime, it's a majority. And I'll give you Louisiana as an example. If you take out New Orleans and Shreveport and Baton Rouge, the rest of the state has no homicides. So, right. you know, so and, 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 and if you add there's only four areas in all of Louisiana that are in double digits. The fourth one is Alexandria, Louisiana, and that is a Republican city. So the top three cities were Democrat. Who cares? Nobody. Ca I, I personally don't care if it's Republican or Democrat. I, Bill, you and I worked in these cities. We know the people, the hardworking people that are being victimized. That's the tragedy here. These people, again, they can't get out. They're, they're, they don't have the means to move and relocate with base family, financial resources. They are victims and they cannot continue. No, I, I agree with you. And, you know, it, it breaks your heart when the technology and the will and the police want to do their job. They police want to do policing. And when they're held from doing that because district attorneys don't want to prosecute anyone, it's it's really disturbing. And you wonder who who's pulling the who's pulling the strings at the top? Who's making these huge policy decisions at the top that is making what is it, four out of the five district attorneys in this city not want to prosecute criminals? And it's it's really disturbing. And also in regards to Bragg from Manhattan, there's certain crimes you don't have a choice. You're supposed to, by law, prosecute it and seek certain sentences. You can't just change the law because you're the district attorney. The legislature makes the law, and you have to follow it. Yeah. You know, I always, you know, district attorneys have the final say in the prosecutions. And I think there, there's maybe a change for that. Maybe that policy needs to change, you know? That what that the district attorneys? Well, yeah, they have final say on all prosecutions. If they don't want to prosecute somebody, there's no recourse after that. So, you know. Yeah, no. I mean, look, they we know that uh, certain cases they would uh, refuse to prosecute. What was it called Five Eleven or something? Oh, we had those fights, you know. Yeah, I mean, I used to remember district attorneys saying I was in homicide. They would say I didn't give you permission to make this arrest. And I said, I don't need your permission. I have probable cause. I locked them up. You want a 343? It go ahead. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, that was just an agreement. Homicides, they gave the agreements. The way we worked in Brooklyn, Bill, is, uh, you know, we could do anything we wanted on any case, make the arrest. We established probable cause. We're going to continue to support the prosecution all the way to final appeal at Supreme Court. However, with the homicides, it was, it was an agreement that we would get the approval. So we had those battles all the time. Well, I remember in in Westchester, the DA shows up. Like, are you kidding me? I can't think of a place I'd less like to have the DA at. You know, <laughs> imagine like you're the DA showing at the homicide scene, pointing, get the hell out of here. Well, didn't we have Judge Brown used to show up out in Queens? Yeah, well, I I didn't work in Queens. That could have happened. You know, I I didn't work there either, but that's what I heard. 
you know, the smart DAs, the really good prosecutors, if they wanted to come to the scene, much like an investigator wanting to see the crime scene, you know, they were very welcome to do that, but they knew enough not to start throwing their weight around. You're not to stay, you know, this is a police scene. You're a district attorney. The courtroom is your, is your venue. This is the street. Let me play a little bit more of Adams and, uh, they, our listeners can get a feel of what he's all about. Where are all those who stated Black Lives Matter? Then go do an analysis of who was killed or shot last night. I was up all night speaking to my commanders in the Bronx, in Brooklyn. The victims were Black. Many of the shooters were Black. There's going to be a transition team. They're going to make that decision. This is a team effort. This is a team effort. But I'm here today to... You know, I, I just think it's important to note that, you know, you just can't put a color on victims of violence. And it's true. And Tom, you and I know that most of the victims are in the, the inner city in what we would call the hood or call the the busy commands uh, of the city. And that's where innocent people are getting shot. Now, innocent people, that little that 16-year-old girl in the Bronx last week going home from school catches a round in the chest. I mean, those are the people that anti-crime would be out there for, to try to protect their lives. And those are the reasons you have gang databases, because these mopes carrying the guns and shooting the gangbangers, yep. you know? But yep. they want to take that tool, that instrument, away from the police so 16-year-old girls get killed on the street. And then if you ask politicians, why did you do that? Look what happened, because you did that. Oh, oh, oh they're, they're tapping, you know, they're running the other way. Yeah. Well, that's what that's part of what in my article about if you're going to make these policies, at least sit at the table and listen. So we used to have a thing, Billy. Well, I don't know what you guys called it up in Manhattan. We used to call it the Brooklyn North Triangle, right? Today's purpose, tomorrow's witness is the next day's perpetrator over and over and over again, the same cycle over and over. And where are you getting that data from? You're getting it from the databases. And you're going to tell me you're eliminating databases? Hey, do you remember the um, the nitro right application? And then yeah. one day we're we're running searches and and there's a, an arrest that didn't show up for a perpetrator in there. And I'm and I'm asking the detective, how's that possible? I know this guy took an earlier narco arrest, and it, and we've called up MISD and found out that they started deleting data out of the out of the nitro database. And we're like, no, never, never delete data, never lose data, you know. You know, I, it was funny, Tom, when, when I was a young cop and um, you'd make an arrest and on the online booking sheet, um, it's the perp gets three phone calls. And you're like, how ridiculous is that? Right. Oh, and, oh. Yeah, you're right. I didn't understand that till I became an investigator, you know, and most of the time, you know, and then most cops would be like, you don't want to make a phone call, right? Yeah, no, I don't. Boom. Refuse. But that that phone call can be used in future investigations as gold. You're right. Absolute gold. Yep. And it, I mean, sort of ridiculous. You're going to make it, let them make three phone calls because they're, they're rushing you out of the precinct in two hours, right? To make yep. an arrest. You know, you can have four perps. Get them out of here. What do you mean? Get them out of here. I, I, you know, 
it takes longer to, to get, you know, process it than two hours, you know? Yeah. Hey, I got a little story for you. Did you know that the apartment box on an online booking sheet didn't record the apartment? And then there was a, there was an, always a glitch that they had never fixed. And that's why I used to address the roll calls in the seven, nine for the five years I was there to tell the, the cops on patrol to write the apartment in the address line and not the apartment box. So to ensure that the apartment was most likely recorded because we used to go to like 160 Albany Avenue in the Albany houses and it would be, you know, 160 Albany, no apartment. There's a hundred units in the place, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. Data. Baby. Yeah. Data. It's all about the data. Well, I, you know, I remember when the department first got that database called phone finder. That was great. And I, I don't know if, if it's updated or better. It's a better technology now, but I remember a guy called us and he was looking for him for a shooting and we put the number in. It was his girlfriend that he used when he was on parole. And boom, we went right to his house and picked him up. Yeah, I was so like, you, you got no, I was just like, that was beautiful. And yeah, well, like, first it was the Coles directories, the big books. Then we went to the CD ROMs, the phone finder CD ROMs, like you're talking about. Now it's all in the databases like at LexisNexis, Thomson Reuters. They all have phones and, and such in there. Uh, the phone data is very robust, it's really strong. That's great. I remember that um, pre-email, pre-department email, we used to use our own emails to send and receive photo arrays from other departments. Yeah. And it was like sort of ridiculous because like, you know, if we went to court, oh, who's who's Seaball Express 12? And, you know, yeah, well, oh, well, that's my uh, personal email. Yeah. You know, it took the department a while. For the, I used to say the New York City Police Department, I forget maybe it was in the, um, I guess it was in the late 90s, just about the uh, 2000s. I used to say we we light a match by hitting two rocks together in the cave because <laughs> we still didn't have we were using typewriters. I mean, you remember, right? With the car I, with I, the carbons. I, I remember them well. I used to steal the ribbons. But I, I have a saying for the technology, right? Yesterday's technology tomorrow. You know? So Yeah, one hundred percent. Folks, uh, again, this is police off the cuff for real crime stories. Thank you guys for listening. Karen Kennedy, I live in San Diego and get the nine eleven um uh, SDPD videos. There has been many high-speed chases of stolen cars starting in LA and in San Diego. Do not surrender. Finally crashing, getting caught. I don't know what you're really talking about there, but uh, uh, Brad, oh, good night, Bill. Got to get up at four for work. Okay, Brad, good seeing you. Uh, Miss Jeanette, I went to college in Waterville. A lot of you guys putting on personal stuff here. Um, what do we got here? Uh, Jamie Pimentel. How are you, buddy? Brad R. Frank Marshall. I grew up in the 75 precinct, East New York in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s. And there were a lot of guns and shootings in that neighborhood at one time. And a very high murder rate. Still does. <laughs> Still does. I don't think anything's changing, really. Uh, Steve C. Ribbons was so valuable, for sure. Those typewriters. And the ball. If someone stole the ball and took it home with them, oh, my God. That was the yeah. typewriter, typewriter ball, right? There's, um, so, you know, there's so many things. I mean, we, we touched on so many great things and this was, I think this was from, um, Amazon and I think Amazon didn't want to let the police use their databases. A lot of these, um, you know, these big companies, uh, I think they even had it with Google didn't want the uh, armed forces to use some of this stuff. And I was like, why don't you just take their license away from them? I mean, are you kidding me? They're not going to let the U S armed forces or. You know, if we needed, you remember the battle with iPhones over the FBI wanted some to get into the phone and they yeah. refused to do it. I was yeah. just like, wait a minute. How do you refuse 
a law enforcement search warrant. And Apple, I, I be, uh, the iPhone, I believe, they fought it. And then I think the FBI figured out how to get into it without their assistance. Yeah, but, that was a couple of years ago. It was crazy. Yep. Yeah, these are the battles we get up uh, against with, I guess, anti-law enforcement uh, people. Woke people, we call it. You know, I love that. That word woke's become the, the word that describes everything that's progressive. They're woke, you know? But, oh, yeah. uh, Tom, I just, you know, we're at an, an hour and eight minutes. I don't want to keep you here any longer. I think it was a, a fascinating little uh, repartee, repartee we had here. It's a, an old word for conversation, but we touched on a lot of different things, you know? And um, I just want our, our listeners to know that when you hear politicians talking about that iron pipeline and the ghost guns just let just know that they're full of shit it really has nothing to do with it because ask them well wouldn't it be just easier if they prosecute the people that use the guns you know guns in someone's safe aren't hurting anybody you know guns in the hand of someone who's a licensed gun owner that's not committing crimes are you still talking about the iron pipeline you know and they want to go after the gun companies. They'll go after the perps who use guns. You know, Tom, I'm going to give you the last words. Yeah, no, I, I Bill, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. As you know, as, as and we're in the same circles and we see what each other's doing. Um, even though I've been retired a good number of years, I've stayed in the game on the technology side, deploying these technologies to public safety. I, let me just say, I hate predators. I hate people who prey on other people and, you know, good people who don't deserve to be victimized like that. All people deserve to live peaceably and anything that disrupts that really gets under my skin. And so the opportunity to talk about this, I don't know if we solved anything tonight. I think so. I hope so because they, the folks, your listeners, your, your viewers need to hear that if they support the police and they get strong leadership within their city government, they can take back. That pendulum will sw swing back like you talked about. It's going to be hard. It's not going to come in a snap of a finger and easy, but it can happen, and let's just keep the faith. Tom, 100%, and I'm going to keep following you on uh, LinkedIn. I like to follow some of the new technologies that you're, um, you're defending, too. You're defending these technologies against people that I don't know what their um, goal is, uh, taking tools away from law enforcement that save people's lives. I just don't. I don't they're, understand it. They're lying. Time. They're lying. Yeah. No, I they know are. they are. There's a lot of liars in government. There's a lot of liars in uh, politicians, a lot of public servants that are liars. You know, that whole thing with the MTA and the cameras not operating on it. turned out that at any time, 33% or 35% of the cameras are not operational, you know. Yeah. So maybe they should up their game and uh, their maintenance game a little bit, you know, instead of, doing, instead of doing a tap dance when something happens, you know. Absolutely. But, uh, so, Tom, again, thank you so much, folks, for listening. This is Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Have a safe night, everyone. Be safe, everybody. Thanks, Billy.